Welcome to the Must Love Self podcast. My name is Carly Israel and I am your host. What is Must Love Self all about? It's about our bodies, our worth, and our voices. It is a movement, an attitude, it is a decision, it is a project, it is a journey, it is a life choice. Every week I get to interview a brave woman who may not be perfect, but is on the path and is willing to share their ugly and their beautiful. I am so excited. We have Kimberly Dempsey on today. Kimberly, will you say hello? Hey, Carly. We were just (laughs) chatting because we're brand new friends. Yes. And we were both saying that this is like a magical movement because you take two strangers We have no idea what we're going to pop up and be like when we see each other here. You know, it's not our profile pics. We're just human. And we're about to talk about some of the most important stuff. And Kimberly, when you wrote me and your form, one of the things you said, and then I want you to share your own, is that you really enjoy talking about ending this legacy of body hate and dieting with this generation and that self-worth and beauty is an echo. And as we become mothers or influencers to the younger generation, we have to realize the power we have in changing this for them. And it, I just, I can't wait to connect. Will you tell us a little bit of your background, what you do in the world and how you came about this? We're going to get deeper into it in a minute. Absolutely. Um, well, what I do in the world is I work um, for a company that is an intuitive eating coaching company and body image. And um, I came about working at that company because I was a client And so I had been identified as like a chronic dieter, yo-yo dieter, turned into um, really disordered eating after having my kids. And I was in a place where I knew just deep down in my gut that diets didn't work, had never worked for me. And I knew that this was not why I was put on this earth to try Mm -hmm. to keep, you know, losing and gaining the same weight. And it was a very interesting kind of moment for me. After three decades of dieting, my disordered eating was ramping up at the same time I had three children. And I was watching my youngest daughter, you know, go from a baby into a little girl. And it was just this light bulb moment where she was watching me. And I knew, you know, if I can't be with my feelings about how my body's inadequate, how I'm going to help her. And that was just kind of the moment I knew that not only for my life, but for theirs, I had to make a change. You know, what's so beautiful about that. And I completely relate because I remember I have three boys and I remember hearing one of my boys in the shower asking me what he could do to make his belly skinnier so he could have a six pack like he saw on YouTube. Yeah. And this, I mean, my kid is like a string bean. Yeah. And when I heard it coming from his mouth, it just broke my heart. And what I heard when you were just talking is like, you were okay, not even though you you weren't okay, but you were okay doing this to yourself, just like I was. It was only when you saw it in your own child that you were like, I don't want to pass this on to her. Yeah. And, you know, it takes what it takes. And we're going to get there. I'm so interested in hearing about your story. But before we get there, I want to get a little background. First of all, why did you say yes to having this conversation with me? 
Because I think these are the type of conversations that women don't have. And I think this is why this issue has perpetuated and has gone on so long. I think this is why it gets passed down because this is shameful. It's shameful to overeat, to binge eat. You feel you should project this uh, level of confidence about your body. And quite honestly, this disordered eating um, phenomenon is actually very, very normal. Um, most women that are dieting um, get to this point at some point. So I just wanted to um, you know, put the spotlight on it because I want women to know that it can stop and you can live a different life. And uh, that's why. Can you define disordered eating for everyone that's listening? Yeah. So disordered eating is having an unhealthy relationship with food. So I was like, that's all I know. Yeah. (laughs) Right. That's all I knew. Yeah. I I wasn't allowed to eat peanut butter or nuts or bananas or avocados because Mm -hmm. those were bad foods said the magazines get, they're the ones my body wanted. Exactly. Exactly. And, and most disordered eaters haven't got, I know that you had uh, diagnosed eating disorders and most disordered eaters haven't got to that point yet, but they have all the makings for it. You know, there's good and bad foods. They're, you know, following rules is dichotomous thinking. They're constantly trying to lose weight, obsessive thinking around food, obsessive exercising. Um, They really um, attach their worth, their overall self-worth to a number on a scale and overall just having that feeling of not being able to trust themselves around food. There's foods that they can't keep in the house without eating them all, this type of thing. I love that so much. And I needed to hear that clear explanation because like we're about to get into, I think we grew up and we've grown up in this culture, whether it's from our own homes or society around us that shows us what is beautiful and what is not. And it's so damaging. So I want to also identify that a lot of women, I don't necessarily find women around our age that are at this place, but Mm -hmm. a lot of women pretend to be a certain age or don't want to talk about their age. My birthday's coming up. And I remember just recently talking with someone who knew when my birthday was, and it was a man, he was very nice, but he said, are you ready for your 29th? And I'm like, no, I'm going to be 42. I don't want to ever be 29 again. That was exhausting. I love being my age. And I wanted to ask you, are you comfortable sharing your age? Yeah, we're the same age. That's Yay! crazy. <laughs> um, and then do you, have you ever been around women that don't like to talk about their age? Oh yeah. I mean, like thinking back to my mom, my mom started lying about her age when she was in her thirties, her early thirties. Wait, when you just said that out loud, even though I've known yeah. that my whole life, it sounds insane. Yes. We're yeah. lying about our age. Yeah. And I would always, as a little girl, I'd be like, mom, come on. I'm like, you said the same thing last year. She's like, oh, I'm getting so old. And every single year it was the same type of thing. So yeah, absolutely. What is your perception of why that is ten, tends to be a, a female choice and why women do that? I think because of the cultural definition of beauty, you know, the cultural definition of beauty is thin and young and, you know, cisgendered and um, white. And um, I think that that is why I think people are always trying to fit themselves into that very, very small box. And the reality is uh, a very small percentage of us do actually fit into that. So it's having, you know, are we going to choose a life where we're constantly trying to change our bodies to fit into a box where very, very few people fit into or just embrace who we are? Um, So, yeah, I love that. Embrace who we are. And, you know, part of that and part of muscle of self is we get to define what is beautiful. Yeah. 
nobody else does. I am. I interviewed my grandmother who's 87 the other day and yeah. she, I asked her why she lie, why women lie about their age. And she said, we, we were told that women don't age well. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, who told you that? Yeah. And it's just, it's this societal understanding that mm-hmm. you don't age well. And what, I said, what does that mean? Does that mean wrinkly and saggy and you know, your bodies yeah. don't look the same. And basically we've been told and trained that not aging well equals becoming like becoming a different version of ourselves. Right. And the, the saddest part is when we're our young self, we don't like ourselves. So right. it's like you just spend your whole life not liking yourself. Exactly. Yeah. That was my light bulb moment really in the coaching program that I went through at wellness lately. Um, really what they were doing was taking these beliefs um, and making me question them because they weren't actually my beliefs. They were just beliefs that were passed down. For instance, that thin means you will be happy. You know, if you can get thin, your life will just fall magically into place. And as I thought back to what was true for me, like, is that true for me? Was I happy when I was thin? And the answer was no, you know? And so, so often we women, uh, probably men as well, just accept these messages that we get through whatever, through family members or media, as opposed to really challenging, is that my belief? Do I actually believe that? Um, So that's been a huge transformation for me is that just stopping in my tracks. And when a belief comes in, like, let's say you're having a bad body image moment, you may see yourself in a picture and you look and say, oh gosh, I look so lazy. I look so disgusting. You know, it's stopping yourself in that moment and saying, wait, am I lazy? Is that actually true? Am I disgusting? Is that what I believe? Uh, Because typically I imagine your daughter saying that. Right. And that was one of my biggest things I was thinking, you know, when she comes to me, when she comes to me that first time and she tells me that she hates her body and she wants to go on a diet, like, will I be ready? What will I say? And that was, I mean, it gives me goosebumps because that is how I was thinking. Will I be ready? What will I say to her? If I can't be with my own feelings, then how will I help her? I love that. I love that so much. Okay. Now we're going to do a rating because I want to just set the stage between one and 10. You're going to choose one is like, I'm a monster to myself. 10 is I'm pretty awesome. And I'm really kind to myself. I want you to give me a number for each one of these areas. And then I also, I want you to give me your lowest number ever. So right now today, what is your number rating between one and 10 of your own body image? I would say I'm a good solid nine. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. What's the lowest it's ever been? I mean, a one for sure. Was that before you, when you were still doing the disordered eating? Yeah, actually right before I started the program, quick story. One of my girlfriends, the first time in my life, someone said to me, I really can't be around you because you talk so bad about yourself. It's really hard to hear. And Carly, at 40 years old, that was the first time another woman had actually said that. Most of the time, other women would just chime in. You know, I would say, no, I'm disgusting, right? Exactly. No, my thighs are bigger or my, you know, and that was the first time and it stopped me in my tracks. And um, it really, it, it made me start thinking like, I don't want to be like that. I I don't want to have someone not want to be around me because I'm like bringing down the party because of how negative I am about my body. I love that you said that. And one of my new agreements that I've made with myself on this journey is I refuse to be around any women 
not like I won't get rid of them, but like when they when they do that, when they say I'm disgusting or if I say you look beautiful and they're like, oh, I'm gross. I right. call them out immediately with love. And I'm like, that's not kind. We're not yeah. talking about our bodies or ourselves like that. You're yeah. perfect. Stop being mean to yourself because we're so used to it. I mean, my son is 14 and he said that, you know, because of the pandemic, you can't even like boys or girls because there's like you can't connect with anyone. And I'm like, well, do you have anybody on Instagram? And he said all the girls that are his age just post these like provocative pictures of themselves uh, and they write, I'm disgusting, aren't I? And then uh, the, all their friends are like, stop it, bitch, you're gorgeous. And like, right. they are putting that out there. And you know, the boys and I are talking enough to understand, like, we don't, we don't talk like that about ourselves. Like yeah. we, I would rather they were an extreme of I'm amazing than mm-hmm. where I've been. What about yeah. your worth? Like your ability to know that you are worthy of treatment and equality and kindness from all, what is your level today? Um, I would say probably a seven, um, being a mom of young kids is tough. You know, it's, it's a job without much, as you know, um, without much praise and it's, it's up and it's highs and lows. And, and, um, I struggle for certain, um, especially during the pandemic, um, what lowers it for you as a parent? Like what parts of, of the regular parenting grind bring your worth down? Anytime they're struggling, um, I feel it's something I have done. You know, I take, so you take things, it personally. Absolutely. And, and that's, that's professionally, personally, like I just put all of myself into everything I do. So if something isn't going great, then I immediately think it must be something I have done. Um, cause I've given all myself. Right. Um, so yeah. So maybe you can join me this year. I, so I love the four agreements mm-hmm. and I have them hung all over my house and I'm looking at one of them right now. And this year I made a commitment to work on not taking anything personally because it's my hardest agreement yeah. and then watch out because a lot of stuff will come at you personally. Yeah. It feels very personal, but my kids, I totally get it. My youngest one is like a drama cyclone mm-hmm. and Every day he gets in the car from his hybrid school with his mask on. He's all sweaty. He's got his trumpet case. He gets in the car yeah. like bad. and he's yeah. like, school was horrible. And the music teacher was mean to me. And the kids told me I don't have any friends and like every day. And mm-hmm. I'm working really hard on holding the space for him where he is, but not taking on his like glitter storm and making it mine. Right. Not right. easy not not easy I mean my mother always told me you're only as happy as your most unhappy child and I was like great (laughs) (laughs) all right last one this one is very confusing at times Mm -hmm. I'm not talking about your ability to to use your voice on behalf of your children or at work or in I'm talking about for yourself what is your number for your ability to advocate for your own self I think I'm really strong on that I would say a 10 what is Um, the lowest it's ever been Um, I feel like I've always, my, everyone who knows me says I've always been this way. Um, so maybe two or three, but I can't really even think of a time where I didn't feel like I could speak up from that's awesome. I mean, that, that takes a lot. And a lot of us have a hard time knowing that we are worthy enough to do that. So I'm so grateful to hear your journey. We're going to go backwards. I want to know about when you were a little girl Mm -hmm. about what you saw from the women in your life. Yeah. positive, negative, or both about what a woman should do or not do behave, not behave, eat, exercise, 
or worth place in the world? I want to know what you, what you learned as a little girl. Yeah. Um, great question. And it's so important. Um, so I grew up in the eighties and nineties, like you did. And I was definitely a child of like the clean your plate era. Um, you know, when we sat down for dinner, we needed to eat everything, but all the women in my life, my mother, my aunts, my, um, cousins, um, they were always trying not to finish what was on their plate. They were always on some type of a diet and they also were always in straight size bodies. Um, we were dressed up, you know, my mom loved us. I mean, she doted on us, but we were dressed up. And as a little girl, when we went to church or parties, just people would just lavish me with compliments. Oh, you're such a pretty little girl. Look at you so pretty. And then around the time of when I was um, a teenager, things started changing for me. Of course, I was gaining weight as, as a normal teenager should. And, um, those, um, compliments definitely stopped. And all of a sudden I was wondering who was I, if not to be a pretty girl. So your identity when you were young was from that attention of being pretty. And then you started changing because we all do. And you started questioning because on the forum, when I asked you what age you became self-conscious about your body or your looks, you said you were on your first diet at, at eight. Will you tell yeah. me how that happened? Yeah. So um, I remember I'm from, I was born in the Midwest in Kansas. And I remember a summer, I was thinking of this before the call, uh, a summer where we would go and visit my grandparents. I grew up in Maine, but was living in Kansas anyways. Um, and all my aunts and my mom, <clears throat> they would always weigh themselves and chart it on this on this wall and what? Yeah. Like as adults or children? Yeah. As, as adults. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And, um, and I, I have gone through a lot of healing around. I do not blame my mother. This is just what she knew. She was a student of diet culture and it's what she knew. So was mine. Yeah. And, and, um, but yeah, I remember them charting it and they asked me to chart mine. And I just remember thinking that was strange, you know, like I didn't want to put my weight up. I didn't want to, to have people look at me. And it was the first time I just read a book um, by Lexi and Lindsay Kite. It's called More Than a Body. Amazing book. Um, We actually had them on our podcast. And it was the first time I felt uh, this phenomenon of self-objectification where I wasn't actually in my body, but I was looking at how others perceive my body that I was seeing that, oh, others are looking at my body and they think things about it. Um, and that was really the first time. And then that just started kind of, uh, do you remember what your diet was? Weight Watchers. Oh, for sure. My really? mom is a, a student of weight. She's a lifetime member. She will be very proud too. Yeah. The two of my besties, I remember, cause we all had babies together at the same time. They were always on Weight Watchers and they would talk about, they would joke, but they would talk about how they would have to take off their watch before they went on the scale okay, yeah. cause they didn't want that to count. And like this concept, which is very similar to what you're mom and her sisters were doing of weighing yourself of doing a weigh-in yeah that's I mean I have a question for you no judgment do you still weigh yourself no I have not weighed myself in almost uh, a year and a half although I did just get weighed yes at the doctor and I asked not to see the weight uh, which was great but then I did see it because I saw over her shoulder yeah (laughs) And uh, actually, this is a big, this is a big How did thing. you do when you saw it? Because I'm, I'm the same. I actually, my entire life since I was healing and going through all that, I would turn around yeah. on the scale. And I know the nurses were like, 
totally judging me. Yeah. But I was doing everything I could because that number would dictate if I was going to be ruined for the entire day. Totally. Because if I was okay and I saw that number, it would take me down. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you do? Um, I did, I did well. Um, I did, it reminded me that I don't need to weigh myself um, because I did think about it more than I wanted to after like, okay, that's, you know, that that's the number, that's what it is. And what I was telling myself is I know that that is, that's the, that's the number for me because I feel that I am healthy. I feel strong and I feel that I eat what I want. And that's kind of my mantra. I'm healthy. I'm strong. I eat what I want. And, but with that said, I won't lie and say, I was still kind of thinking about the number a lot. Like now, when else have I weighed that? Like, what right. did I look like then? So I just know I don't need to weigh myself. It doesn't tell me anything that I don't already know. And this is a big concept and a big issue for women. Um, you know, misinformed medical professionals really um, requiring you to be weighed, um, not, keeping that number private. Uh, if you ask them, we just had a client who had an experience where she asked not to be told how much she weighed and the lady kind of mumbled it under her breath as she wrote it down, probably just not even thinking, but it's a big deal for some people. Um, so, yeah, I'm so glad you said that. And, you know, I, I'm no longer allowed to say anymore that I am a woman that doesn't easily cry. And I wasn't priding myself in that. I just didn't have a lot of access to it for years. Mm-hmm. but every interview, including yours, I get teary and it's because I'm able to hear parts of my brokenness in other yeah. people. Mm-hmm. And I got to tell you until two years ago, when I made the decision to consciously change that scale that was underneath my bathroom sink that I would pull out with all the dust bunnies on it. And I would pray, like, I hope the number is going to be okay. Cause if I get on it and it's not okay, it's not whatever number I made up my mind that I needed to be at. Yeah. Then I would go in the shower because that's what I was doing. I was, I was naked scale shower. And then the shower, which is usually a place where I get great ideas and I'm clean and I'm hot and yummy is a torture chamber of what do I need to change? I remember having those conversations. What could I possibly cut out? There's nothing left, Carly. There's literally, I I got into a place where I was like, if someone could just make me a pellet, I would just eat that. So I could just stop while this is exhausting. And when you were talking about it, when, and we're going to get to the place at the end in the lightning round, where I ask you this one specific question. And I've got to tell you, not one woman, when I've asked the question has said, I hope they say that she had a good number on the scale, right? Like nobody, nobody cares except for us. Right. Right. Yeah. But we use that, that, that number. And this is not for every woman because some women, their body stuff is not their biggest thing. It's their worth and achievement. But for the women like me and you who have this number and this body crap and this dieting stuff, that number is not who I am. No, no. Yeah. It's just, it's so painful. I mean, think, I always think back to think about when, um, you were, you know, eating great. You feel like you're eating in a very balanced way. You're moving your body on a daily basis. Maybe you are uh, in a weight loss pursuit and you weigh yourself after a week of all these good, healthy behaviors and the number is not right. And then you throw all those healthy behaviors out the window because the number was not right. Right. So that is what that's, that's the implications of weighing yourself. It's that, when we're only looking at the number and not what is health really, then actually people stop these healthy behaviors because of 
the number that they say is not right, but what is that number? You know, BMI charts are bogus. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, they were made in the 1900s and we were, we were still prescribing like cocaine for different things, right. you know? So, um, and the reality yeah. is for, for me, because I am like you, I love, I'm healthy. I'm strong. I eat what I want. I am no longer after skinny or fat. I am, yeah. I am all about, I want to be strong and fit and healthy. Yeah. I want to live long. I want to feel good. Right. And, and I want to eat things and put them in my body that are good choices, not because of a number, what the results going to be, but because I want my body to feel awesome. Right. Because one thing that people don't talk about a lot, but from three plus decades of an eating disorder and throwing up and binging and per- all that. I've destroyed my GI. Yeah. And so my stomach, my GI system is like my life. Like, oh, I don't feel well today. And it's because I did that to my own body. Yeah. And so today I just want to put in really yummy stuff. So this is going to transition us into, I want to know how you went from the disordered eating chronic dieter to getting yourself to a place where you are now an intuitive eating coach. Yeah. So I, just to be clear, I am getting certified. So right now I'm the director of marketing for wellness lately. Um, I I'm helping them with spreading the message. The minute I, I ended the program, I said, guys, I need to help you. Like every woman needs to hear about this. So how did I do it? So within the wellness lately coaching program, we have a framework that's built around this concept of intuitive eating. And this is a self-care eating framework that was developed by Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch back in the 1990s, I think it was like 95. And they were dietitians and they were dietitians and they were prescribing meal plans and counting calories and doing all the same things that dietitians do. And they were seeing their clients come to them with the same problems we all have, you know, rebound, weight gain, you know, not being able to stick to the diet, you know, you know, mental decline because of dieting or restricting foods. And they said, you know what, this is, this just, this does not work. And they thought back to children, actually, their, their framework was developed based on the fact that based on how children eat, that children intuitively eat, they know when they're hungry, they stop when they're full, you know, how many times have you seen a child just leave half the things on their plate, even if they're, you know, cookies or treats or what have you. And this is all about getting back to something called interceptive awareness, our ability to actually feel the sensations in our body. And that can be, you know, the sensations of fullness, um, hunger. Um, It can even be when you need rest um, or movement. And the first thing that to tell your listeners what an intuitive eater or what a dieter should do if they're trying to become an intuitive eater is actually to eat. They need to take away all of the rules and go through a period of just eating food, all the foods, and start to feel what you actually ask yourself. What do I feel like today? Ask yourself as you're eating, you're actually using mindfulness. Um, Mindfulness and intuitive eating are different, um, but they can actually work together, Um, but really checking in and saying, does this food still taste good midway through eating? Do I want more? Um, So you're really staying present inside your body as opposed to being external thinking about, should I eat the whole sandwich or should I just have half, you know? So that's really the first step is like starting to eat. So I vowed to never diet again. 
I vowed to get rid of all of my diet tools. So your Fitbit, your scale, all the trackers. Oh my God. That I have Can I just gym. tell you, yeah. <laughs> I, well, cause you'll read, you're reading, you're listening to my book and you're going to find out, but I have an extremely addictive personality that yeah. Fitbit nearly killed my husband. We were in Portugal. I had to wear it. I couldn't go to the bathroom without having it on because I didn't want to lose my steps. And we were, I was schlepping him all over the city and we went out of our hotel, which was like, you didn't go in the elevator because it was scary. So we went like down three floors and I go, oh crap, I forgot my Fitbit. And he's like, it's okay. I'm like, no, I'm not going to walk all over the city and not get the credit. First of all, zero (laughs) humans gave a crap about how many steps I did. Right. Nobody gave me even a sticker. Okay. It was all me. I wanted to be able. And then after I was crazy, because I love walking and like, I love, you know, moving around. When I got back to regular life, I was so down on myself that I was only getting a certain amount of steps. It became insane for me. Mm-hmm. It is. And it's like, again, it's just like the weight. It's like, whose numbers are those? Like yes. whose numbers, like why? And what is about that number? What's making you, why, why are you so emotionally Can charged I ask about this you, number? Yes. What was one of the most crazy diets you were ever on? Whole 30. Tell you us ever- what that is. Whole 30 is they call it an elimination diet that it is to, they say um, that it is to kind of determine if you have food allergies, you actually cut out wheat, um, gluten, dairy, um, legumes, all sugar. Yep. And um, you're supposed to keep to this for 30 days and then slowly introduce back the foods. Um, one by one to determine if you have any allergies. But quite honestly, Carly, no one treats it like that. They treat it as a, as a diet. Most people do it in January and uh, as like a kickstart. And um, it took my disordered eating way over the edge. It was just, it excluded way more than it included. I mean, I, I was feeling bad about having black beans in my chili, you know, and um, eating like a banana was like, whoa, too much sugar. Um, so it really kind of put me over the edge. And that's when the binging really started. I was either on whole 30, very restrictive, avoiding going out even because I didn't because want it was to blow so my overwhelming diet. and like yes. having to study a menu before you go out because what am I going to choose there without looking like a freak so I don't look like I'm looking at it for too long? Exactly. There was actually no, there was like two restaurants you could potentially go to because you couldn't even have butter. So yeah, so um, I was either on the whole 30 or I was off of it getting in all of the things that I couldn't have for all of those days. And then I would be just calculating in my brain, okay, when can I get, get back on it? And I would always plan these things around events like parties, like my son's birthday party or a wedding we were going to. So all of these big events that should have been such great social gatherings actually just became this like frenzy of eating for me because I had just gotten off this really restrictive diet. And that is what was causing the binge eating. So anyone who thinks that binge eating is is a result of their lack of motivation or their just inability to stick to a plan, it's actually proven that binge eating is based on a highly restrictive diet. It's both psychological, you know, you want what you can have, and then it's physiological, your body is trying not to starve. And it is actually expecting that you will do this to it again. So it's trying to get all the foods in. That's so interesting and helpful that you share that because I have a a friend that talks to me about this, and she doesn't understand why she keeps binging. And she uses words like I was being so good. And now I'm being so bad. You're so right. We would not need to do that if we were eating in a way 
So what you now do is the exact opposite of that. Instead of just shoving in or, I mean, also the restrictive that I've been on with you too, you know, all of those, it's constantly looking to see, is this going to have this in it? What's going to be in this? And it's so exhausting. You think you're being intuitive because all you're doing is thinking about it, but you're actually just being obsessive. Yeah. Completely obsessive. And actually anyone who is um, a listener of yours that has been on the whole 30, I mean, they have a whole calendar where they tell you how you'll be feeling every single day. And on like week two, they have like hamburgers and ice cream cones, like up in a little air bubble. Like you're going to be dreaming of these foods because yes, you become obsessed with them when you cut them out. It is all you are thinking about. So every day that I was on whole 30, all I was thinking about was what I was going to have when I was off of it. And it just made me feel like I had absolutely no control over these foods and no one ever binges on kale or asparagus, you know? (laughs) And so think about that. Like no one ever binges on stuff. You allow yourself when you know, you can have it and as much of it anytime, then you're not going to try to get it all in, in these small windows of time that you allow them. I have a question. Are you married? Yes. Does your spouse, were they aware of all these diets? Oh yeah. So I like, I always speak up for myself. I answer that as a 10. Right. So when I was on the diet, like I was the biggest advocate, like this is the right way to eat. Yeah. Like, let's all well, do You this. had to believe it. You had I to, had believe to. It. Yeah. right. Yeah. And you know, I'm a natural salesperson and you know, I was getting everyone on it. And then he also saw the flip side of that. When I was off of it, I was obsessed with food and I thought I had a sugar addiction yeah. or a carb addiction. I'd be like, listen, we got to get pizza tonight. We got to get this type of pizza. You know, if the place was closed, I'd be crazy. I'd be like, well, I had to have pizza tonight because I can't have it tomorrow. Like we got to get it, you know, and this is how I was acting. And I will tell you, Carly, the minute I started the wellness lately food freedom Academy and vowed never to diet again, I never binged again. I have never binged again. Um, was he, um, skeptical when he first started since he thought it was probably just another new thing or did he already understand what it was about? Um, no, he had no clue what it's about. It's very hard to understand. Yeah. It's it's completely opposite of what our diet culture has taught us for all this time. You're going to stop dieting. You're going to eat whatever you want. Like, wait, what's that about? And it was a complete about face to him. Like I was always the, the dieter. I knew everything about every diet, every, you know, nutrition label I had memorized. And so he, it was completely overwhelming for him. And I had to talk to my coaches a lot about that. I didn't know how to address it. And what I decided was, you know, it was very vulnerable for me. I kept it close. I didn't mention much of it until I was confident about it. Right. Because you wanted to make sure you were going to actually stick with it. Exactly. And then, you know, I never actually mentioned much to um, friends and family. They came up to me asking me. Because they could see the difference. You seem so different. You seem so much more at peace, so much happier. Um, They were probably also seeing you eat things that you would never normally eat and not being insane or saying, I'm a bad girl that I'm doing this. Yeah. Or leaving. Like most of the time when I'd see like friends and family, it'd be like at a party or a cookout that I had planned to be off. So I was probably eating a ton of things. And then now I'm someone who I take a bite of a cookie. If it's not that good, like I'm don't eat it. Like I, you know, take a bite and I move on. Um, so, and I never thought, I thought that there was women in the world that just would always be dieting. And then there's those unicorn women that could just like oh, pass on the brownie or just have a bite. And to think that like, I am that woman now, it's just unbelievable. Um, I have a question as a yeah. mother. 
Is there a way to help your children with this without telling them like specifically about it? Like, is there a, a healthy way to go about this? Because I find that with, with being a parent and having to feed your kids, there's like this feeling like you're supposed to feed them certain things. They need to have like a meal or whatever. And yeah. one of my kids is the worst eater on earth. Yeah. And it is such a power struggle. And I go through periods of do whatever you want. You're just not going to have this because, you know, you're obsessed with it. And I don't care. I'm exhausted to I love you no matter what. I don't you know, this is your body. Yeah. You're going to figure it out. What, how do you approach this same concept with your kids or do you have perfect eaters? Oh, no. So, I mean, there is, and then there is no perfect eating, yeah. you know, really it's, it's your body tells you what it needs and it's going to need, maybe one day it needs a bunch of, you know, salads and, and whatever. And the next day it needs a bunch of carbs. So there is no perfect eating. What I will say with um, feeding children, and there's a lot of resources that we can link to, um, there is an institute called Ellen Satter, and she actually has a framework for um, helping children stay close to their intuitive eating skills. Because what we need to remember with kids is that kids are born intuitive eaters. So they already know all this. What we're trying to do as parents and caregivers is not institute the diet culture that has permeated us and messed us all up and taken us away from those internal cues and sensations. And so it's actually one of the areas where, you know, when raising our kids, less intervention is best. You really don't want to do much. You as a parent, um, something called the division of responsibility is you are there to um, decide what they're going to eat. So you may lay out a spread of tonight, we're having steak and mashed potatoes and salad. Um, and you tell them when you're going to eat and where we're going to eat it at the table. And then this um, feeding method requires you to just let them actually serve themselves. So your kids are, are old enough that they could actually put the food that they want on their plate. So we're providing structure and age appropriate structure. Like I have a two-year-old, um, so I'm not going to let her serve herself, mm. but um, do you ever have a kid that won't eat anything that you put out? Cause my, my challenging eater will eat zero vegetables, like two fruits and just mm -hmm. wants like pasta. Yeah. Yeah. That's like my seven year old and sugar. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the point would be that you want to always try to provide something that you know that they'll eat one thing that you'll know they'll eat, um, which for like my seven-year-old is yogurt. So there may mm -hmm. be like a yogurt on the side. Um, but it's, it's really, we, we just don't want to get as anxious, uh, about it as things were when I first had my kids back in, uh, well, this is like seven years ago. I was just so crazy about like the superfoods and making sure there was no <laughs> sugar. Uh -huh. And that's the exact opposite of what we want to do. We just want right. mealtime to be a happy place. And we don't want to institute all these rules uh, and let them feed themselves because they will catch up on the nutrition um, throughout yes, the day. I'm, I'm uh, hoping because yeah. he's my, he did not learn how to ride a bike until like two years ago because he had a lot of medical illnesses. And that was one of the most challenging things I've ever done in my life was teach that kid how to ride a bike. It was oh, not yeah. like a weekend. It was like six weeks. And <laughs> I said to him, I joked, I was like, you're going to be a vegan cyclist one day. Like yeah. one day you're going to be like a vegan cyclist chef and you're going to yeah. do all these things. So thank yeah. you for that. I, I want to yes. know, I forgot to ask you, did you bring a quotation? I did. Yay. I have so many. Yay. I, so I want to know what your quotation is. 
You know, the one that I really always, always go back to, I mentioned I was from Kansas, but I just think that this is like such a, it's an old school quote, but it's, you've always had the power, my dear, you just had to learn it for yourself. And I just love it because that is what I would tell my younger self too. It's like, you know, the answers, whether it's like, who should you date? What job you should take? Like, you know, the answers, just get quiet, take a couple of deep breaths and stop asking other people what you need to do because they're not on the path that you're on. Oh my God. I love that so much. I, I made a bumper sticker when I was in college. It said Dorothy was right. Yes. And I love what you just said about stop asking other people because they're not on your path. And you just answered lightning question number one. What would you tell yeah. your younger self? So I love oh. that. That was so beautiful. We're going to go into the lightning round. And my okay. first question is in terms of your current body image, what judgment, if any, would you like to let go of? Oh, um, that's a hard one. I try, I really try not to judge. I don't think I'm at a point right now where I'm judging specific parts of my body. So I think just the overall umbrella would just be that you need to be thinner. That mm. always comes up. And, you know, you can even be an intuitive eater and done all this work on body image. And that can still come up because of the culture that we live in. I mean, the media is constantly showing us images of women that are just outside of the, what's normally capable for the average person. So I think that that always comes up, um, but it comes up so less frequently than it used to. Since because you're not feeding that dog as much. Yeah. I don't believe that I'm ever not going to hear the voice. Yeah. But I believe that when I hear it, the more I, I practice, it's going to be just like an annoying cousin that's like yeah. says one thing and you're like, just go down at the other end of the table. Like I'm sober 22 years. And I remember hearing a woman when I was newly sober, who was sober 36 years. And she said that there's never a drink that's poor that she doesn't see out of the corner of her eye. Yeah. And I don't think that we're ever going to be free of the mindset. Yeah. And we're going to see it in other women when we see the illness of it and, you know, the freedom of it, but we're not going to have to be owned by it, I think is the goal. I a hundred percent agree. A hundred percent. And I, I don't remember the quote, but another quote, it's like, um, progress through something is not linear. It's not like you go from healthy to unhealthy, just in a straight line. You just keep coming around to the same pain and you're stronger from the climb. It's like, it's not like we're just suddenly miraculously cured of whatever, you know, becoming sober or, right. um, you know, binge eating you come around to the same type of thing that has gotten you before. And you're like, no, I learned last time. I'm a yeah. little bit stronger this time. I'm going to step around that hole this time. Or exactly. when I fall in, I know how to get out better. I love exactly. that. What would your 80 year old self say to you now? Thank you for listening to yourself. So I'm not in a nursing home counting my points on my pudding. Oh, <laughs> you know, right? Doesn't that break your heart? <laughs> right? Like it's I really, true. I really had that thought. Like I don't want to be in my nursing home like counting my points, <laughs> like on the side of my well, it's real. It's yes. real. My grandmother's 87 and she still said she restricts herself. She doesn't like uh, her body. And I said, at what point are you allowed to eat cookies? Like yes. when? Just have the cookies. Life is I short. Love it. What yeah. is beauty to you? Beauty to me is, um, is confidence, trust in yourself. Um, a love that you can see outside someone's body. I love that. What does it mean to be a strong woman? Um, being in charge of yourself. Mm. What do you want others to say about you? I want them to say that I know she loved me so much and she always took care of me. 
and she was funny. <laughs> See, I love that one because that was the one I was thinking of when we were talking about the numbers. And mm-hmm. I can't even imagine us being like, I want them to say she weighed 127 pounds. Right. Like, nobody gives a fuck, right? Exactly. Last two questions. You have nine months to live. You just got it whispered in your ear. What would you do with the rest of the time? Oh my gosh. I would hug my babies. I would hug them. I would kiss them. I would travel everywhere and just, they would be sick of me talking. I would just try to tell them all my messages. Like this is, you know, when you, when you fall in love the first time, I actually write journals to my kids. Um, I love that when I have a thought, like, you know, when you fall in love or yes. So that if I ever so do die, but I don't want to die before them. Um, but of course, I, yes, I do want to die before right. them. But, but you don't want to die like right now. Right. Yeah. Like, you don't, you want to be like a grandma. Like exactly. you want to see everything. Yeah. yeah. Last words, you get one piece of advice for every woman that's listening. What do you want to tell them? I want to tell them when they heal their own food and body, ish- body image issues, they lend permission to some other woman to do the same. That is so beautiful. There's um, a Jewish tradition for Hanukkah. You know how they have the menorahs mm-hmm. and the big candle in the middle that's taller is called the shamash. Okay. And the shamash's job is to light the others. Uh, and we need that, right? Our mm-hmm. job, you give each other, we're giving each other permission. I love that you said, I am never going to diet again. Never. Yeah. I'm so grateful for you. You made my life better. I feel Uh, grateful for knowing you and I hope to continue knowing you because we have a lot of connections. Yes. I'm so excited to finish reading your book. It's just like, you're like in, and it's your voice. You're in cool. It's me. It's you. We're being real. We're being honest. I'm grateful for your time. Hug those babies now because none of us have any clue. So thank you so much. Carly. Thank you. It's been so much fun. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you are willing to rate, review, and share with your people, it makes such a difference for others to find it. And if you wanted to check out my memoir, Seconds and Inches, it's available on Amazon as an audiobook with me narrating, a paperback, and digital. I promise you, you will love it. Have an awesome day. And one more thing, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. La, 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 La 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 la